Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Today's episode is sponsored by Apernio, an achievement acceleration company whose approach to professional development enables clients to gain insights and perspectives to live, work, and engage with more success. I'd like to welcome everyone to Mindset Playbook Podcast, and today we've got uh, some excitement ahead for you. Uh, Very, very fascinating background this young man is going to share with you, not only what... uh, what happens when a career is derailed, and yet how that can open up a door to um, an opportunity of a lifetime. And he's going to share that with you, amongst many things. And he's going to share things with you he's not even aware he's going to share with you right now. But that's the idea behind this, is what was the mindset behind the plays that were put into play? And we generally don't understand those until we look back at our life and put it into perspective. And we're talking about Rick Elmore. He's an entrepreneur, sales and marketing expert, and a former college and professional football player. He's had to develop his own playbook, so to speak, as he transitioned from professional sports to a career in medical sales to becoming the founder and CEO of Simply Noted. And you want to make note of that one. Founded in 2018. And one reason that stood out for me as to why this novel concept is so successful Is that when you think about it, folks, maybe 20% of us will open an email or direct mail approach to getting our attention. But listen to this, whereas 99% of us will open a handwritten note. Well, Rick developed a proprietary technology that puts real pen and ink to paper to scale handwritten communication, helping businesses of all industries stand out from their competition and build meaningful relationships which is what it's all about with their clients, customers, and employees. So, Rick, as a professional athlete, former professional athlete, I'm not saying you're not an athlete now, (laughs) what learning would you say was most significant in contributing to your success in life and why? Um, That's a great question. Um, When I really sit back and think about what helped me be successful later on in life or right now in life, was I look back to when I was eight years old and nine years old and the things I was going through then. Um, When I was seven, my father passed away, so that was an early tragic event in my life. And um, Was it sudden? It was extremely sudden. My father was 42 years old. We were in the other room, um, kind of just went in there. It was just an interest. It was Was a heart attack. It was a heart attack. Yeah. He had a heart attack at 42. Um, my mom wasn't working at the time. So that really kind of shocked our family and it really reset us. Yeah. And, um, actually, um, that really what kind of launched our family. And, um, I got into sports at an early age and that wasn't something that we did when I was five or six, but after my father passed away, that was something that my mother did to help us stay busy and help us get out and, you know, make new friends and try new things. And I really think that sports plays a very strong and and interesting role in everyone's lives because I think what you learn in sports really teaches you how to be successful in life, the adversity, the commitment, um, 
you know, overcoming obstacles, teamwork. I mean, things that you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. And those are those skills that I've been training and implementing and honing and working on since I was eight years old. Wow. I'll be darned. Yeah. Wow. So was it you just you and your sister? I have a twin brother. Twin so brother. Yeah, he's actually bigger than I am. And then I have an older <laughs> yeah. brother who's uh, four years older than me. And All he right. lives in California. My twin brother uh, lives here in Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Well, Rick Rick is, uh, what, 6'5", yeah. 255, was your yeah. plane yeah. right? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, uh, he's, you know, and you're listening to a guy that's almost 5'8". Coming in at about 155. So yeah. I am dwarfed by this man. Yeah. When I greeted him today, it was wonderful because you, you knew this guy was an athlete. Yeah. yeah. And not just because of his size, but just how he walked in his presence. There's something about um, feeling good about yourself and having a reason for it. Because when we, when we try to make people think we feel great about ourselves, more often than not, it's arrogance. Yeah, or ego. Or ego, yeah. yeah. It's not self high self-esteem. Yeah. So anyway, you had this tragic event take place that I can't even imagine what that was like. Um, and then your mom wanted you guys to mm-hmm. get involved in something rather yeah. than just focusing on what you didn't have. Uh, and that led to athletics. When did you recognize that you were a little more gifted than most? Um, I, to be honest, I didn't feel gifted at, at sports for the first <laughs> few years. Um, I, I played football. So I, I started playing soccer. And then by the time wow. I got to fifth or sixth grade, we started, you know, me and my twin brother just started getting a little bit taller, a little bit bigger than the other kids. Okay. And funny story, the coach actually asked when we were going to eighth grade that um, – they don't sign us up because we would get yellow cards, knock kids over. We were just more physical. <laughs> and it just, the sport, we outgrew the sport. Okay. And um, started playing football because my older brother played football, idolized my older brother. Okay. What younger brother doesn't idolize their older brother? Absolutely. And to be honest, my first two, three years of football, I was, I mean, bad. I mean, I was just, I was so used to the finesse of soccer and I wasn't used to the helmet and the pads and the hitting and the contact. And I mean, you're just so you're, you're playing through injuries and you're aching and pains and all these things, um, that I just wasn't used to. And you're, and it was just tough. So yeah. those first two or three years were very challenging. Um, but my personality, I'm, I'm extremely stubborn. Um, I, I, not being good at something irks me, um, so I was not going to quit. Right. And it probably took a good three or four years to really. Where I was like, I'm starting to get my flow here. Sure. And um, I would say by the well, time your coordination has to develop yeah. as well, right? At yeah. that age, I, you know, I think a lot of parents put their kids in soccer first. You kind of get that foot coordination, but then when you're moving with contact and tackling and keeping your head up and not getting hurt and all these yeah. different things, yeah, it takes a few years. But definitely was not a a fast starter in football. Uh, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, professionally, you were a linebacker. Mm-hmm. Did you play linebacker when you were younger, or being as tall as you were, you were an end? So, when you first start playing football, if you don't know what you're doing, they put you on the offensive line, especially if you're a big oh, guy. So, okay. I started on the offensive line when I first oh. uh, got into football. Okay. And then, as I got my legs under me and really started learning what I was doing, and I was a bigger kid and I leaned out. Um, tremendously uh, when I started playing football and I started moving to like an outside linebacker defensive ah, end. So okay. I, play, I played defensive end for, I mean, probably 15 years of my, so football you did career. the 40 and four, nine, didn't you? Uh, we did a four, 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 uh, four, four, most of my career. So we did, oh, you know, four okay. linemen, four linebackers, two middle, two outside. No, but I mean your speed. Oh, in the 40. yeah. 
The forty. Oh no, I was uh, I was faster in high school and I got slower in college. I was probably your stat says four nine. Yeah, I was a four nine. Yeah, four, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speed wise, yeah, yeah speed I was a four nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in in college, which is quick for a big yeah. guy. Yeah, um, there's definitely people that are faster than me and, and stronger and more physically gifted than me. But um, I, I what I like about this. the uh, the new kid with uh, Seattle? Metcalf. Oh my gosh! Huh? Did you see that? Did you see him run him down? Sorry if I'm yes. getting too excited here. Yes. But that stuff is what juices me up <laughs> when you see people put that much effort. Oh my and That is heart. Right. He came that out of the end great. zone. Running like he could have not done that. Yes. Like, that's the stuff that gets me going. When I see people do stuff like that out of the ordinary, that's not ordinary. Like that <laughs> fires me up. Like that. Yeah. 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 That was a great, great play. But I, I'm probably the worst football fan now. Um, oh yeah. From nine to. 24 it was literally my life okay um, and when you say your life tell was, us about what that means it was my life um i loved it though i mean right. it was what was for me um what kind of time were you putting in though uh, once i got to high school i mean i played sports year around when i was younger but once i got to high school got a little bit more focused on football um i was hardcore dedicated to the gym um i was in the gym three hours a day that's where i like to be that was my social scene oh, okay. my I friends gotcha. were there i liked lifting um i was kind of in a growing phase so i wanted to maximize that but um football in high school was not that that many hours maybe you know three hours of practice at you know during the during the week per day and then a game but when you get to college it just completely is it's a different story um it's five and it's 24 hours a day in college gotcha um i don't well we're on we have a funny story here since we're on video um i had a, a college coach that always used to say that school's number one football's number two <laughs> so um i don't know if i got a point here school's number one football's number two and i was a scholarship athlete and very fortunate um me and my twin brother got athlete or athletic scholarships to play there and I wouldn't have gone to college if it wasn't for this. So um, very humble beginnings. Lower yeah. middle class family. So I was the first person to go to. Me and my brother were the first people to go to college in our lives. So very fortunate. But it now, is where a, did you grow up? Uh, Simi Valley, California. Simi Valley. Yeah. Okay. So I'm from California. Then did Arizona, Arizona recruit you? Yeah. In high school, I had a, a very good career. Um, by the time I got to high school, I was kicking on all cylinders. I was playing. I went to a small school. And that was by design. Um, my brother went through the public school system. It was challenging for him. So my parents put us in the uh, private school system, and we just kind of shined there. Yeah. Uh, I played quarterback, kicker, punter, middle linebacker. Um, basically, we would scout the team the week before we played, and then we would position myself like that would best op you know, optimally help <laughs> us for the game that next week. So um, it was high school fall. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was an absolute blast. But uh yeah, I had a really good career in high school. I was very lucky, very fortunate. Um, started getting recruited my sophomore year. I think I had 26 or 27 Division I uh, scholarships. Um, but me and my twin brother weren't going to go anywhere unless we were together. Oh. And we had seven um, Division I scholarships together. But Arizona recruited us hard and fast and early. They offered us first. They showed us a lot of you know, love and attention. Um, they were in a rebuilding year. Mike Stoops, Mark Stoops were there. Very big names in college football at least 10, 15 years yeah, ago, which sure. is crazy to think it was that long ago. Yeah. But we went there, and we I felt like we turned the program around at least for a good 8 to 10 years. And then they're in the rebuilding stage again now. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. All right. Yeah. All right. So did you have your eye on playing professionally at that time in college? <sighs> So I think if you're going to go professional, um, and this is anything in life, you got to be so committed okay. to that. And I, 
it was going to happen. I was going to make it happen. Like it was just nothing was going to stop me or get in my way from making that happen. I just had this mindset. It was, it was just going to happen. And my, I wanted to play until I was 30. I felt like I could play until I was 30, but once you get to the NFL, it's just a pure business. I mean, politics, I mean, politics are even set aside. It's just business. You know, it's about money and, and playing time and contracts and all this stuff. And, Mm. um, I got a good three years and I was very fortunate, got to play out my childhood dream, um, yeah. played on some good teams. I was on Green Bay the year after the Super Bowl, went to the NFC Championship my rookie year um, oh, with uh, 49ers. I mean, got to live out a really cool yeah. um, experience. And I miss it tremendously because there is nothing like the locker room in the NCAA in the NFL. You're around people just like you, hungry, motivated, competitive, driven, mm-hmm. want to be the best, like want to mm-hmm. be at the top. Like, and you just don't find that in the real world. Yeah. And that was something that was hard for me um, okay. when I got out because I was so used to, I mean, if you're having a bad day, somebody would like pick you up yeah. or somebody wouldn't let you have a bad day. They would come and, and you know, hit, like, let's go, you know, yeah. like yeah. another 10 guys are counting on you. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So that brotherhood, it's level. just, it was just a different thing. And um, it, yeah, that, that was tough not having that anymore. So yeah. you try to create that in different ways. So that's a huge, let's talk a little bit about that. That's a huge transition. Yeah. Massive. You, you are, your thinking is all focused on being the best athlete you can possibly be. And then generally outcomes will take care of themselves. As long as you are prepared and putting yourself in the right positions and making sure that you've got the right temperament and personality, because yep. a lot of coaches don't like the drama, no matter how great yep. the athlete is. Yep. Same thing in business. Yeah, it's the right. same. Sports are a metaphor for life. That's right? right. It really is. They are. They are. Yeah. Um, and so with all of this vision in mind um, and having the camaraderie, if anybody's ever been around anybody that cares a great deal about them, you know, they typically call them their best friend. And yeah. what do best friends do when we get down? They get in our face. Yeah. They you hold know? you accountable. They hold us accountable. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah. so all of a sudden now... This is your life. Boom, you're out of sports. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it, was, it was tough. Was um, it tough? So I, I had a futures contract, but it was, it's just, you know, you know when it's your time to go. Okay. And um, I remember I was driving home. Um, we, I shipped my truck all over the country. Like, literally, I lived in so many different states. I lived in extended states, people's couches. Like, I was just so committed to making this happen. And I remember when I got done my last year... I was just driving home. I wanted to drive home. And I mean, I, it just freaked me out. Like I didn't, I don't have, oh, it just, it freaked me out. Do now, huh? Yeah. It's like, I didn't have, my parents were, I'm very fortunate for the parents I had. My mom remarried my football coach. So that's probably, oh, yeah. Right. My mom remarried my, my football coach when, uh, when I was younger, but they've supported me all the way, but they were not going to be the parents that handed me a trust fund. They weren't going to hand me their business. They weren't, I wasn't going to take over the family business, right? Like I was going to have to figure this out. And, um, that is a blessing. And we can talk about that because that will make you or break you. Because Um, there's a lot of listeners that are going, of course, you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. We weren't that great athletes and blah, 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 blah. But You you did not have that handed to you. You worked at that. You developed your talent, your skills, yeah. and your God given, just natural ability, rather than just laying back and letting the yeah. system handle it. 
Yeah, but I mean, I remember when I was driving back, like, I felt like I was having a heart attack. I was literally had to pull the car over. Like, I was, I don't know if it was a panic yeah, attack they, or yeah. something. Like, I was 23 years old. Like, you don't know these things, right? Sure. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know. Like, I have to figure this out. And um, it was a it was a. What did you do? I got to work. I literally started looking at what other people were doing that that went through a similar transition. Do you think this was in hindsight? Um, It probably took me three to six months. Like I was trying to figure it out. Like I was like, "Am I going to go and try to be a fireman? Am I going to go and try Mm -hmm. and go back to school and do something specific?" Like, um, and then I talked to a mentor um, that I've known from when I was really young. It was a great person in my life, supported me from day one when I was 13 years old. He's like, Rick, um, everything that you've learned in football for the last 15 years are transferable skills. And you can take that and apply it to whatever you do. But the next phase of your life, if you want to start out a career, get into sales. Because what you do in sales is the next basic building blocks of your life and your career. What you do in sales will apply to no matter what you, whatever, whatever career you go in. So... I started looking at um, athletes that I went, you know, I played with in college that went through the transition. What did they do? Like, okay. I know they're driven. They can't sit at a desk. They're competitive. They want to be in that environment. What did they do? And I just started calling people. I called my my college. I'm like, hey, can I get this guy's phone number? Like, hey, you know, do you have this guy's phone number? And um, I would just reach out. And um, a lot of guys went to medical device. So I was like, hmm. I knew some people that were in medical device. That seems like a cool career. Um, you're in the hospital. You're with doctors. Like, it's a high pressure environment, right? Mm-hmm. You're not sitting and doing monotonous work. I was like, let's try that. So um, just kept asking questions. How do I do it? Who do I talk to? And found a website, medreps.com. And I literally just applied everywhere. Like I didn't care. I just wanted to get in and I wanted to prove that I can do it. And I wanted to start and got a call from Stryker. Um, interview process was insane. It was, was like it? four months. Um, I don't know if you guys wow. know about that, but it was... Um, I had to meet with each rep, the, the the sales manager, the VP. I had to go to a dinner with the doctor. I went to a basketball game with the doctor and the reps, and they just want to see how you handle yourself in different environments. Gotcha. Yeah. And ended up landing a pretty good career um, with Stryker. Um, it was a part of a rebuild, so I was helping rebuild something, so I felt like I what I did mattered. And after a couple of years, um, there were some things that were lacking there, so I went and found a I wanted to hone some different sales skills, so I went over to a different medical sales. But five years, it was phenomenal. Um, I couldn't have done what I'm doing now without what I did then. Oh, okay. You know, a lot of times when people get involved in in sales, your typical person, well, I'm not a salesperson. And the reason they say that is they have an attitude about salespeople. And they don't want to be perceived as one. That was me. Was it? I swear. How did you deal with that? When I when you're an athlete, everybody's helping you. You have okay. your trainers, you have your agent, you have your coaches, um, you have your parents. You literally have this ecosystem because it takes a village. Um, I got you. You know, just like raising children, it takes a village. And um, I I was not a social person. If I was in a room with a hundred people, I would be in the corner. Like I just I was used <laughs> wow. to people coming to me as and the for athlete. your size. Yeah. It's probably kind of hard to hide. Yeah, right. <laughs> But that's part of why I wanted to get into this. I knew that I lacked that. I was uncomfortable uh, in social settings. I was uncomfortable being at a one-to-one dinner with someone and holding a conversation for two hours. Was that just from lack of experience or had Zero you always experience. been shy? Zero experience. Um, I was not super shy. Okay. Um, but the environment I was in when I was younger was the same environment. I was around athletes so I can be myself. But yeah, I just had no experience. You. Like, 
people always wanted to ask me questions about sports. I just didn't know how to ask them questions about their lives. Gotcha. And, and that's a skill. And I yeah. um, was able to learn some of those things from my, my original manager at Stryker. He sent me to Dale's Carnegie's training, like sales oh, school. Yeah. Great program, great book, great rules. Sure. I read that book every January. And yeah, people. great. Yeah. I mean, it's just great basic principles. But uh, um, yeah, it was, I remember going to my first dinner with a doctor, four hour dinner. Like these guys just liked, we had the corporate Amex. They liked using it, you know, $200 bottle of wine, but there for four hours. Once we got done, like after 40 minutes, I was ready to leave. I went back <laughs> to my truck and I, I felt like I wanted to pass out. I was so exhausted. I was just like, I've never done that, you know, but it takes effort, doesn't it? Success and growth takes effort, yes. right? And you have to put yourself in those, those situations where you're reaching, right? And that was a yeah. huge reach for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you pulled it off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I, very fortunate. Yeah. It was good, but yeah. So, so what, how did you keep yourself in the game? Let's call that a play mm -hmm. because you dealt with adversity. Your dream has been pulled out from underneath you, even though you were, you were recognizing, you know, I think I've kind of maxed this as far as my, where yeah. I'm at right now in my yeah. life. All right. So then now it's this, this transition. What kept you in it? What kept you from just settling? So I had a, a very, um, I had a very, I don't say wrong way or I had, a, I had a major fear of failure. Okay. And later on in my life, I've learned that failure is a good thing. Okay. But when I was younger, um, I mean, I was not supposed to be the guy to go to college. I was not supposed uh, to be the guy to do these things. And people expected me to fail outside my bubble, right? Sure. A lot of negative, yeah. um, you know, people yeah. uh, casting their thoughts or whatever. You but um, I feared failure. Like I just, it was going to be the last thing, I, you know, I owed it. Um, to my family, I owed it to those who mentored me and invested their time in me when I was younger to this village of support to not fail because I mean, they spent 20 years, 23 years yeah. from, I mean, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old now, so I understand that investment, um, yeah. now better than I did then, but sure. I owed it to them. Like they helped me from being a young kid, going through all these hard things, helping me get through high school, college, supporting me through the ups and downs of the NFL, I was not going to fail them. All right. I mean, so I, you made it about not letting others down. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Instead of letting yourself down. Yeah. Well, I would let myself down if I let them down. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's strong. It is. And it's, it's a fire. It's a passion. I, I still feel it. Like I get goosebumps even thinking about it. Like, I want my parents, my wife, my kids, the people around me, you know, to get that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to know that you can be counted on. Yeah. Right? Always. Yeah, yeah. That's strong. That's strong. Um, so you transitioned, okay? You had, and, and one thing that's so essential in leadership and organizations, if you really want to get people following and behind yeah. something is there's got to be something greater than self. Absolutely. Right. And, yeah. and that can be the vision of the company. It can be its sense of purpose. Yeah. It's a multitude of things, but you helped us understand too, that it's you, you were blessed in the sense that you had this ecosystem that was supporting and developing and encouraging. Yeah. And that created a heavy responsibility on you Yeah, that I can't let them down. And a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. And so that's where, how would you suggest that people can kind of create that for themselves? I think um, 
people around, like your family doesn't have to be your family. Right. Okay. I have some friends that I've been friends with since I was five. Um, my four best, the four people in my wedding, my best men were people I played football with since I was six and seven years old, all completely different, completely career. Like we all went in complete separate directions. Okay. But one thing, um, that makes those guys family. It doesn't matter. Like we have such a strong history and a strong support and love and care, um, for each other that they are our family. So your family doesn't have to just be, you know, gotcha. and I get it. You know, some people yeah. don't have that support and I, like I was fortunate to have, but there are people that care about you. And when you find those people, you hold on strong, you hold yeah. on tight and you go through the ups and downs with those people. And if you're willing to go through that with them and they see that, and if they're a good person, because some people will take advantage of it, um, that's your family. All right. Yeah. All right. And it's strong now as it yeah. was then. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how'd you meet your wife? My wife's an amazing person. Um, so I've been with my wife for 13 years. Okay. I'm 32. So we met like our freshman year, my freshman year in college. She's two years younger than, or older than me. So I was, I was shy when it came, came to girls. Like I was not a, a ladies man by any means. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I met my wife, I guess by just fate. Um, uh-huh. I had a friend that moved out from California to go to college with me. And, um, we, our dream was to open a gym. Like we were going to do that. And long story short, he ended up moving back, but his neighbor is now one of my best friends. So I met, um, his, my, one of my best friends now through a friend that came from high school, but, um, my best friend now, he was dating a girl on the softball team and he was going to a softball game. And I was like, man, I just got done with workouts. He wanted me to go. I was like, I have to wake up early tomorrow. I don't want to go. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> he talked me into going just to go support him and be there with them. He didn't want to go by himself. And I, I kid you not, I walked into that game and I went right down third baseline. And my wife was, um, she played catcher and she uh, was wearing her face mask. I didn't even see her. She was in a squat catching, doing bullpen. And I just saw her eyes and I swear, like <laughs> I just knew it right then. This is before wow. smartphones. I had a little flip phone. It was like a TI-89 Verizon gray silver phone. And I called my brother's uh, girlfriend back then. I was like, I need you to go to the computer, Google number 15 Arizona softball and tell me this girl's name. And I was just, I just knew it. I I called my mom after the end. I was like, I found my goddess. Like, this is her. And I was just too scared to talk to her. She was a junior. Uh, And um, that's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I went around. (laughs) <laughs> and I started walking around and this is, I'm a shy guy. I started walking around all the stands. I'm like, does anybody know number 15? Who knows it? And my wife now had text messages after the game. Like, Hey, this, this large creepy guy is walking around the stands asking for you. And I was, I was, I had like bleached hair and I, I mean, piercings in my ears, California kid. And, um, so, I mean, it was funny, but I guess my wife already noticed me before I noticed her and she kind of had her eyes on me, but it was fate. Wow. Um, wow. And it took That's me, wonderful. Yeah. And I, it took me a long time. She actually ended up coming and talking to me. So it's probably, you know, I'm not a natural born salesman. Okay. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, it took about two months. Um, we always passed by each other and I was just always afraid to talk to her. And one day I was in study hall and, uh, she was okay. So study hall it was where you had to go do our homework before everything. And I was sitting at the end of study hall and she walked in and sat right by the door and I saw her and I was like, I, if I go, if I leave, I have to walk by her. And like, we know we're seeing each other, making eye contact. 
And I sat there for two hours because I was afraid. I was literally, I was like on menshealth.com, CNET. Like I wasn't even doing homework. I was just like, my heart was going a million miles an hour. Like again, fate, like this was her. Like I knew it. And um, she left and I was like, I felt so defeated. I was like, why didn't I go talk to her? And she ended up coming right back. Like two minutes later, like she was waiting for me to go talk to her. Like, and she came and sat right next to me. And I was just like... <laughs> freaked out like my heart she's just like you want to go to lunch and i was just like oh, i wish i could i have to go to weights what about dinner and rest is wow. history wow so wow. it's just been together ever since ever since um isn't that something it is it's and i'm i again i feel like i've lived a fortunate life like yeah. she is an amazing person yeah. um well you know you draw towards you that which you project and to see you get as compassionate and emotional as you did earlier yeah uh, tells us and segues well into um, the enterprise you're involved in now. Yeah. So why don't you share a little bit about how you ended up starting the, starting the company and getting yeah. involved in this to begin with? So when I after a few years in medical sales, um, I started learning that you know my potential is really unlimitless or it's limitless. Um, okay. When I was in football, we were taught to do our jobs. Like, you're a defensive end. On these plays, you do these jobs. This is your gap. Do your job. Take care of your team by doing your job. And once mm -hmm. I got out of the football world, I started learning that I can learn anything. And um, hmm. I went back and did my MBA. So I have a couple semesters left in 2017 at the University of Arizona. It was a full-time evening program. And um, one lecture, I mean, I was sitting there, like, worried about my sales career and, like, trying to apply whatever I'm learning to my career then. And this professor mentioned that handwritten notes had a 99% open rate. And I'm like, it's a no-brainer, right? Like, who doesn't open a handwritten note nowadays? Yeah. But we just live in a digital world. Right. No one you know, has the time to do it anymore. Everybody's texting and doing all these things. Um, and I wish I could do it. You know, I, I sat down and did holiday cards the year before, and it took us two weeks just to fill out the envelopes and put a printed card in it. So um, <laughs> at that time, there was a company called Bond, and they were doing something similar but our technology is completely different and they were That's focusing it. on the wedding market ah. and um i thought so sending uh, invitations out to people, your friends and stuff yeah but it was yeah it was it for was the wedding completely uh, uh a little different than how we do yeah. it but yeah. uh yeah i mean long story short i had a, a cohort classmate of mine um and myself we just started researching the heck out of this and you know we flew technology in from china um some equipment from South America and worked with mailing houses here and um, in Phoenix. Um, again, just being resourceful, right? And that half of success is just being resourceful. You don't have to know everything. Sure. And um, got finally got this just prototype after months of working on this. And again, I'm an athlete, no engineering background, no software engineering background. I just have an immense amount of drive. Like it won't defeat me. Okay. It just won't. Yeah. And uh, we got it figured out. And um, we got 500 letters put together. They they didn't look terrible compared to what they look now. <laughs> but um, I sent out 500. I had 32 doctors call me back. I had doctors like thanking me. Like we had so many competitors in the industry that would just walk in and annoy their office every day. They're like, "Hey, Rick, that was cool. Like, thanks for sending me that handwritten letter. Like, come in and set up a lunch and let's talk about this." For me, I was like, "Eureka! Like, <laughs> I figured it out. It works. Like, I knew this would work." And when I was in college or in high school. You get those handwritten letters from coaches, those are gold, mm, right? Those yeah, are keepsakes. Sure, sure. And I have some letters that are keepsakes, but they're just powerful. Yeah. There's just not a, there's no, they're just, yeah, they're just powerful. 
So what, how does this differ from, now this is not my own handwriting then. You can. You can. And your signature. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's some pretty incredible stuff. Oh, because yeah. at first I was kind of like, okay, I've gotten things that are handwritten by a machine. Yeah. And you can tell they're handwritten by a machine. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a nice step. Yeah. But it's not quite as intimate as. Yeah. So we work, I mean, that's kind of like, like our niche. We work okay. with businesses, busy executives, professionals that want to do it. Um, see, like I run a business now. I don't have the time to sit down and write yeah. all of our customers a thank you letter. I just yeah. don't. I wish I and sure. people feel the same way, right? That's yeah, why this company bet. exists. Yeah. But we can help you get in front of them or simply know it helps you get in front of them. And that I, I feel it's the most intimate, personal way without actually sitting down, turning your phone on silent and, and, and being face to face. I feel like this is the most intimate way, but I feel like this is the second best, most intimate gotcha. way. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And um, after listening to you and your, your experiences in selling uh, equipment, medical equipment to doctors and whatnot, it sounds like a natural for you to send it out to doctors to be kind of start to see how it went. Is that where you started? So I started with some, some medical, but I think it's just it's a relationship uh, building tool. So anybody mm. that's in a relationship-driven industry, hospitality, insurance, real estate, mortgage, where repeat business matters, you know, customer service right. matters, um, I think this tool is, it just fits in well. Yeah, but I started. I mentioned you started with doctors because oh, you yes. already had the background with them. Yeah, I mean, I right? I was the that was just the the most natural fit. Um, and talk about a, a group that is overrun by outside businesses wanting yeah. to somehow affect what Absolutely. they're doing. Yeah, I feel like it's all run by corporate now. Doctors are made by yeah. Yeah, and you ended yeah. up getting their attention. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, I just, you know, it just stands out. You yeah. Know, it's impactful. And uh, again, the open reads higher. And, you know, if I walk in and I'm, you know, if we're doing a podcast right now and someone comes and knocks on the door, I mean, it's just, it's an annoyance and it's rude, right? But this is something that's um, not. Yeah. You can get to it when you want. You know, yeah. It's nice. So, yeah. so did this get kicked off in formally in 2018? So I started uh, dabbling around with it in 2017 while I was working full time. It was just nights and weekends because gotcha. um, I was in a very demanding uh, startup medical um, uh, career from 17 to 19. And um, once I kind of figured out this was going to work, um, filed for an LLC in 2018 and then it kind of just got to a point where I had to jump in and I'm so risk adverse. Like I want to make sure my family's taken care of my wife, like literally telling you like how great she is. She's like, and we were very comfortable, like with my competitive sure. drive, like matching with that industry, like our, our lives were very comfortable. My wife was like pushing me. She's wow. like, you need to do this. Like she could see how passionate I was about it, how excited yeah. I was about it. Like, like it is true when you find something that you're passionate about, you don't feel like you work a day ever. Yeah. Like I can work 24 hours a day on this cause I just love it. Like oh. I just love it. I, um, this isn't about, um, trying to build a $40 billion company. It's about, you know, conceptualizing an idea and then building that idea and seeing your baby, you know, grow up and walk and then seeing how it's helping people. And when people tell you their stories and how it's helped them out, it's just like, it is just so much more rewarding, you know? And, um, you're just not a yeah. It's just different. So you have got <clears throat> a real soul to you that resonates. That's infectious. Because I'm sitting here listening to you. You know, I've teared up twice from your energy and your passion. 
Do you think that 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 loss of of your key player in your life, your dad, kind of triggered some of that in you, or do you did you always feel that way about life? Um, I to be honest, I, I remember emotions like after my father. I remember. Um, when my father passed away, like I felt like I had to be strong because everybody else was crying. Okay. Like I remember being in the hospital, the funeral. Um, I felt I don't know why I felt the responsibility to try yeah. to be strong. And um, ever since my my mom remarried a phenomenal phenomenal man. Um, he's been a, a, a great um, I, example for our family. Beautiful. He's a uh, uh, he was fortunate, a very yeah. fortunate. I mean, this guy has cared for us, loved us like children, but always tried to lead by example and not try to force on being a dad, but he was our coach. So we've had that very like coach, you know, father mm-hmm. relationship where it's, it's more mentorship. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, I mean, he grew up on the East coast and he's a contractor, roofer, blue collar, hard nose. Like, even if you're having a bad day, you get up and go like, like yeah, that yeah. type of worker mentality. Get and my mom yourself. was the same way when my father passed away, she wasn't working and she had to figure it out. And my mom would figured it out. Right. right yeah. And that's what like me and my mom, it's kind of the joke in our family was figured out. Right. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, just we're going to figure it out. Right. Right. And, yeah. And some people get so caught up and, um, what's going on and the problem that you you just get foggy brained and you can't figure it. You can't get past like your, your depression or whatever that is. And you can't focus on fixing it. And yeah. we've just always focused on fixing it. And, um, that's a powerful thing that I've been able to take from my childhood and apply it to this. I couldn't do in my corporate career. Like everything was so structured. I was on this big cruise ship that was just going right down the Pacific and had all these people helping me, right? And had all these, the mm-hmm. captain and cruisemen and all this stuff. But for the first time in my life, I was on this little dinghy in the middle yeah. of the Pacific and had to figure it out. Watch the ship see. go down. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's something my mom is very good at to this day. She's semi-retired, but she always figures it out. So That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, you know, as, as I thinking here and I don't know how much how much interested the audience is in this but I certainly am and that is that you're a linebacker which means you like to hit and I don't mean with your fists into somebody's face you don't know I want to know how that passion and that drive came into play when you got a guy coming at you with the ball. I think if, uh, especially you play on football, but on the defensive side, you have to have some type of screw loose in your head <laughs> on some level. Do you, you really do. do um, because every it's painful. I mean, you're literally every single play you're hitting, you know, a receiver, DB. Yeah. Um, you're kind of, you have space and, and comfort and distance. But we the first, the first step is contact. Okay. So, I mean, I had this coach, Kevin Green, Hall of Fame linebacker um, from Green. I mean, all over, but I was at Green Bay. He taught us the Cobra strike. And the Cobra strike was set your hips, uh, sit down, set your hips, and spring up through, like, the balls of your feet, and you neutralize the person with the the face of your head. Like, he taught you. You don't even touch them with your your hands first. You hit them here. So all the power from your legs goes up through your hips, through your chest, through your shoulders, through your neck, and you hit them with right here. And, I mean, I was going against – I mean, Hall of Fame guys, Joe Thomas, uh, Brian Bulaga, um, these guys that are just monsters. Like, but I mean, that is how you're, I mean, you have to play physical, but I mean, it, I needed it. I was just, 
Hmm. After that tragic, you know, situation when I was younger, I was angry and holding all this emotion hmm. and it hmm. just, uh, it was a, a release. Wow. And, um, for a lot of people, they don't have that release and it could be anything. Yeah. It could be in art or it can be in working out or running, but I needed that physical release. You know, everybody deals with bullying when they're younger, especially if you go to public school, um, bullying, you know, you just, you just, I needed it. And it was something that it, it filled a huge void. Um, Nick Nolte was in a film years and years ago, back back forty something like that. I forget the name of it, but it, it, what it was about is a professional football player and the side of it that most people don't see, and that was his damn near inability to be able to get out of bed after a game. Did you? What kind of after effect would all of this? this getting out this energy onto another human being inflict on you, even though I know there's ice pools and there's all kinds of ways to yeah. help your body. But so, um, it becomes a part of your life. Okay. So for the, me, the when I was going does? through it, yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Uh, you expect it. There's ways to go around it, um, and help you go through it. And I didn't do what, the, what a lot of the guys did. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm not speaking college because college was so taboo and you can't do anything. But once you get the NFL, there's just so many ways to get around things. And I don't want to say it's a regret, but I was literally a guy that was anti-everything. I didn't take ibuprofen. I didn't take uh, nothing. Okay. And, you know, there was people that were doing stem cells and test, or TRT or, um, you know, human growth hormone or Tordal or painkillers. Like, I did nothing yeah. and i don't know if that inhibited my ability to continue on but uh, i literally didn't do anything i did the stretching i did the ice bath and i did rest and, and i ate i didn't drink i didn't party okay I, that was my commitment to the sport right. but um i think again you have to like it i mean about what you're doing mm. if you're a writer you have to like thinking about what you're going to write you have to like sitting down and going through the process that was a process i loved going to the gym that was a huge part of the sport was training and competing and lifting and you get endorphins just from doing that and when you do something that you like you get even more endorphins so (laughs) i was feeding that side that was helping my body continue on by just doing those things but yeah there's natural ways that you can take care of your body but are you dealing with any after effects from the the physical infliction yeah i went through a pretty serious like life um event earlier this march um so I had kid. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, but I, I was went and did the the Grand Canyon um, in March this year, and when I got back, I felt great. I was like, man, I finally I'm coming back. Finally getting out of this slump. I, you know, entrepreneur startup, young kids, you know, no sleep, whatever. Right, yeah. And then two days after I got back from the Grand Canyon, um, oh, this is pre-COVID. I mean, we we're about to explode and have our best month ever. Super excited, and. Like my, I just got stopped in my tracks on uh, a Monday morning. I had an internal bleeding, a, a dual foil lesion that ended. I ended up being in the the ICU for seven days. Oh, for heaven's sakes! Yeah, two operations, five blood transfusions, oh power of attorneys, like oh. priests in the room. It was weird. Really? Yeah, thirty-two youngest person there. I was just like, what is going on? Oh, for heaven's sakes! But what I'm learning is there now, any pain answer, associated with that. There's yeah. <laughs> It has been a, a those long... you can't see his expression right now. It was yeah. like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I was. It, it put me down on the ground, and so I've never was been that bleeding guy. anyway. I had something in my stomach that protruded, um, oh. and it was just gushing blood. I lost over sixty percent of the blood in my body. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. But um, that's what I'm saying. Like, 
I was able to push through this stuff when I was in football, um, had all these things I've just ignored. I, I, you kind of just ignore and play through it, but kind of deal with it. And but I, you just can't do that now yeah. um, just because your priorities are different. But yeah, I was anemic for four and a half, five months. Um, oh, man. And I, I so you're just kind of getting back, huh? Yeah, I went through a pandemic. I, like everybody, it's been a tough year. But I mean, this year has been great for us. Again, it goes back to personality, grit. You know, yep. not going to fail. Like yep. we've been able to grow. You know, pretty pretty well this year. But oh, that's good. That's but yeah, good. it's there's definitely a repercussions of playing a sport like that for 15 years. But I hear it's like usually in like your 40s or 50s where you start getting the knee and back and hip yeah. problems. But it was completely worth it. It yeah. literally. Projected my life, I had yeah. my wife because of it, my career, yeah, you know, experience, yeah. and you know stories, how to stay healthy, right? Yeah, and right. Yeah, so yeah. definitely yeah. worth it. Well, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah, know. I'm telling you, it was a, it was a scary. It's closer to not having you in this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I <clears throat> before we wrap it up, I wanted to ask you about something that I haven't asked anybody about before. And I don't know if we'll, you'll have an answer or not, but but you seem to be do, doing just great with your responses. I, I couldn't ask for more. <laughs> um, you talked about, there's a, and, and people are probably tired of me sharing this, but Gallup's study has just staggered me because it's so unfortunate that currently in America, 85% of people don't like the job that they're doing, mm-hmm. Okay. And the unfortunate thing is the repercussions of that. It doesn't make for a happy person. And then yeah. that, that person talks to other people. And pretty soon when you surround your ecosystem becomes people that are supporting, not enjoying life. Yeah. As opposed to a group of people that are supporting, enjoying yeah. life. And you, you emphasized, you know, you got to like what you do. And what I'm going to ask you is, let's say you're involved in something that you've gotten to the point where you go, I don't like this anymore. And the unfortunate thing is when you say that, your brain clicks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard to come back because yeah. you've already locked on now and now you lock everything else out, right? Yeah. What, would, what encouragement or what advice would you give to people who are starting to make some kind of decisions in their minds about what they're doing and it's falling on the negative side So I've, to bring the like back? I know exactly it. what I did. Okay. Um, I did everything I was uncomfortable doing. I went back to school. I went to networking events. I went and had lunch with people. I asked people to mentor me. You, you. Uh, I was on a, a journey to find my passion. I was on my journey to find my purpose. And that's what you have to do, especially in your young 20s and, and 30s when you want to have that fulfilling career. Did I know I was going to do a robotic pen-written note company when I was 23 years old? No. Did I know that in 2016 when I decided to go back to my MBA? No, but you find your purpose through your journey, and that's okay. what you need to do. And people get comfortable in their environments, and they don't want to put themselves out there, and they and they don't want to be having the reach and stretch, but you have to do that. And the people that I know that have the most interesting lives and the most satisfied have constantly lived uncomfortable. They've constantly put themselves in a position for growth. They haven't you know, done what was easy, you know, and... Um, sooner or later, the momentum builds up where you, you get used to doing the uneasy thing. Mm-hmm. And when you start doing the easy thing, like there's something in your brain that triggers like, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Right. <laughs> like, um, so cause easy know, gets boring after a while, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think your, your, your passion will be found in your journey if you're constantly lo- you're exploring yeah. and looking and, um, yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. So it's, it's, 
it's a place that we'll spend the rest of our life in, and that's inside our own mind. Yeah. And it's the biggest battle you'll ever have. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we don't take over those thoughts, those thoughts will take over for us. Yeah. And you're, what you've shared with all of us has been very inspirational. Um, it's been very honest. It's, it's been emotional. A lot of people won't see this video. They'll see snippets of it. Um, but you're a man that, that not only has tremendous physical attributes that you didn't take for granted, you are successful in spite of not wanting to be the guy that gets all the limelight. Okay? The guy that if he was in a great gr- large group of people prior to you getting comfortable with it, we're over in the corner. Yeah. Because it was more comfortable. Yeah. And you've also shared the importance of getting comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. To keep challenging oneself. Yeah. Um, why don't we, I, you know, I... I I'm so excited about be talking to someone who's a kindred spirit, someone who knows that um, there is no manual in life, and that if we're thinking we're going to get it somewhere, we're going to hear it there, here, we're going to read about it there, we are missing the movie we should be watching, and that's the unfolding of our own lives. We're all the heroes of our own stories. Yes. And that's what people need to realize and stop... You know, idolizing people that aren't doing what they're doing or living the, the walking the walk that they're walking. And if somebody woke up today and they struggled yesterday and realized that they're the hero of their own story and they, they can be the hero of their own movie, how would you act? Yes. Right? Yes. Like take control. Like stop idolizing these fictional characters. Right. <laughs> yeah. And um, beautiful. It, because what you do impacts so many people mm. around you, especially mm. if you have a family. Right. Yeah. And um, you can be their hero. Yeah. And that yeah. that that in itself should just set your soul on fire. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I um, I want you also to give your company a little plug, if you don't mind. And that is uh, why should organizations want to um, get involved in your organization? Yeah, I think. Um, you know, in 2020 and 2021, I think we're living in an increasingly disconnected world. And it's really hard to stay top of mind or really hard to build real relationships. You think you're building a relationship by, you know, sending a, an automated email or an automated text, but everyone's doing that. I think Simply Noted solves a real problem and it helps give them a tool that they just didn't have before. And that helps businesses, organizations, um, of all sizes, send genuine, real penwritten notes for thank yous or birthdays or holidays or for whatever purpose they want to use it to interact and connect with their clients on a whole different level. Okay. This is, I feel it's game changing in business because Beautiful. it's a, a way um, to connect that you never could before. So um, I'm passionate about this. This is, like I said, this is my baby. This is a passion project. This has nothing to do with, you know, building. I don't want to, you know, be this large, admired, huge company by and get all this notoriety for that. But I think that we're solving something and helping people. And that, I think that's what's really exciting. Beautiful. Beautiful. And those of you out there that are going, well, pretty soon everybody will have this. 
and uh, so it won't be significant anymore. Uh, do you have a million people yet that are using this? No. Okay, well, I, we have over 250 million adults in this country yeah. that can use this. So there's still yeah. a few opportunities out there to be unique yeah, it's with a very product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's, it's exciting thing about this, too, is it's just so unique and raw and new that we are ahead of the, the if some, a lot of people want to try to figure this out, but it, it is painful. It is, <laughs> it is not easy. It's mechanical. It's software. Um, things happen. You have to have a lot of patience. And, but you've um, made it easy for the user. Well, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yes, yeah, I'm just yes. talking about if companies want to come in and try right, to do this. exactly. Like, good luck. Like, let's, <laughs> let's talk a year after you bash your head into a wall trying to figure this out because it's, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, well, Rick, there's so many different directions I could go in, and I just want to tell you how, how much fun I have had That's listening great. to your story. Thank you. And feeling your energy. I mean, it's, it's very infectious. And at some point, I'd like to meet your wife and your kids because I'm sure they're they're amazing as well. They're great. Yeah. They're what are great. your What are your children's names? So, um, so my son's name is Recker, R E K K E R. Okay. The story behind that name was when I was a baby, my mom used to call me Ricker the Wrecker, <laughs> and when he was born, we didn't have a name for him. I just knew. I had the same initials as my dad, and I wanted him to have the same initials as me. And um, we're sitting in the hospital. My wife's mom was going through our names, and she's like, hey, what about Wrecker? I was like, <laughs> like yeah. Ta-da. Yeah, and then it's a cool name. It's a palindrome. It's spelled the same ways forwards and backwards. So we thought the cool meaning was no matter where he went in life, he'd have direction, you know, because Dude, it's, you know. So. Nice. And then my uh, daughter's name, um, she's Piper Joe, and um, right. she just turned one. So uh, I had no I had no call on the name there. My wife no. was like, this is her name. That's what it's going to be. You have no say. I was like, all right. So no, that's, oh, good. that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I thank you for being here today. Thanks for having uh, me. I hope everybody has enjoyed as much as I have. Um, um, and I want everyone to recognize out there what Rick has shared with us. Uh, it's not an easy time for a lot of individuals We've had a whole transition now in, uh, in government, and so we're all looking forward to seeing how that'll unfold. Um, and so far, the market has held well, and, and most people are encouraged, whether it was your vote or not, that, that um, decided. <clears throat> we know that the vote was important. I think this election proved that more than anything else. But whether your man or woman is, is running the country or not is immaterial, you're running your life. And when you get discouraged and you get down, remember what Rick said, you're the hero. Now, how's that hero behaving right now? Is that hero pulling a blanket over their head and sticking their thumb in their mouth? Or is that hero tearing those blankets off and getting onto it? Getting to work. And getting to work. And uh, what was that, that little statement that your mom made? Figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> and thank you all. And listen, listen just a little bit further, and uh, Walker will introduce our next guest. Thank you. Enjoy your life. God bless. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we ask that you please subscribe and share with your friends and associates. On our next podcast, discover with Larry how life-changing self-awareness can be, that you can still be the best even when you don't like what you're doing, and what's in store for us all when we use our humility to ask for help, and most importantly, the amazing life that's been waiting for us.